0: Good morning. Good morning. I'm Carmen LaVerge You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. What a joy to be together with you um, this morning. I uh, trust that God has you in the very palm of his hand. And if you say to yourself, you know what, I'm not feeling that this morning, um, then I want you to turn your attention to him um, and acknowledge that. Just say, God, I, I know what scripture says. Um, about how much you love me and how much you value me and that I'm um, beloved and held, but I'm not I'm not feeling that. Uh, and so, Father, bring my feelings into alignment with reality today and let me be assured of your um, greatness, your goodness, your love, your grace, your mercy, new every morning. Our Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Paul speaking here to his fellow Christians, imitate God in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And we think about um, what it looks like to offer Ourselves as a sacrifice, right? Because that's what's talking about here. So what does it look like to live sacrificially? Well, it's not the same kind of sacrifice that Christ made because Christ's sacrifice is once for all, um, no longer need to, you know, offer up sacrificial offerings. Like Jesus is the ultimate atoning sacrifice, no other sacrifice needed in that same way. And so what's Paul talking about here? Um, when Paul says, "You know, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, who loved us and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God." What is the Apostle Paul saying? Well, we could look to other places where Paul uses this um, this same idea in similar language. I'm thinking here about Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, where Paul says, "I urge you, my brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy." To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, there in Romans 12, Paul echoes this idea of um, following the example of Christ, offering our lives as a living sacrifice to God where in Ephesians 5, 2, and 3, today's growing your faith verse of the day, and he's talking about following the example of Christ, loving as Christ loved, and offering your life, again, as a pleasing aroma to God. So what does Jesus smell like? Mm -hmm. That's part of, I think, the question you could ask yourself today. Do I have the Jesus stink on me as I get out there into the world that God so loves? And what does that even mean? What is the aroma of Christ? Well, for those um, who are being saved, um, you know, it's the fragrance of life. Paul talks about that in Second Corinthians chapter 2, here, verses uh, 14 to 17. The context here is Paul traveling from Trous to Macedonia. Paul says, Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal per- procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, it's a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient to understand these things? Um, Like so many, we're not peddlers of God. We are men of sincerity, commissioned by God in the sight of God. We speak in Christ. So how do you um how do you respond to that that idea that we are the very aroma of Christ which means that to some people I mean the words that we share are life and they understand it others see Jesus as death and therefore those of us who are the Jesus people we like smell of death to them um if anybody has ever turned up their nose at you um, maybe it was the aroma of Christ they were catching uh, a, a waft of. We're going to turn our attention again today to um, unfolding events in, in and around, and now out spilling out of Asbury University, and um, we've been talking about this every single day since Dr. Matthew Sleeth, um, you know, let us know last week that uh, that this was happening, that the chapel service that began a week ago this past Wednesday, was continuing on. And so he is going to rejoin us today to make some observations um, and share some testimonies of folks who have been in the room um, and help us get a sense of what God is doing, um, not only at Asbury University, but but now spilling out of there um, through those who are experiencing a revival in that place. That's up next here on Morning with Carmen. Joining us this morning, Dr. Matthew Sleeth. Um, he has a little bit of an insider uh, story and look about helping us understand what's happening at Asbury University. Um, we have been making observations um, for a week now about um, what appears to be a revival. Matthew, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen.
1: Carmen, it is great to be with you. And we think about all the crazy things happening in the world. We're going to talk about the opposite. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't
0: know. This is a pretty crazy thing happening in the world. This is good crazy. crazy. (laughs) This is good crazy. This This is good crazy. Um, crazy. I know that uh, this past Sunday um, at the Christian Missionary Alliance Church in Lexington, Kentucky, like prayers for the regular service of worship were kind of suspended um, so that those people who have actually been to Um, Asbury could offer testimonies about what they experienced. So I'm wondering if you would tell us about that. And then you have some backstory conversation to share with us as well that I think is really helpful for people to know.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I want to make this point that this is not just a news story happening. God is is not an arbitrary God. God is a God of Reason and order and that type of thing, and there's some things that lead up to this event that I think make more sense out of it. Even before I got on, you were playing a little snippet of Amazing Grace, song I love, and um, you know it's interesting that in 1969 uh, the devil had the the largest uh, revival that he could come up with and it was called Woodstock and that was in 1969 but in 1970 Judy Collins had Amazing Grace go to the top of the charts bizarrely at that time and in 1970 there was a revival there and and that people had prayed for that for a long time. I'm going to talk about this one. First Alliance Church has been since the first of the year um praying and uh, and asking for revival and repentance and that type of thing and i'm going to put some faces and names behind this so that people can see that um that people have been longing and praying and preparing the ground for this a first name is david thomas and uh, if you look at any of the films he's always there david has for uh, well over a decade been preaching around uh, the state uh, for revival. Um, he is uh, comes from uh, the Methodist background, and um, he had the courage to leave the United Methodist Church uh, quite some time ago uh, to do some of this work. Uh, it's a he's a beautiful uh, family. His seventeen-year-old daughter wrote a Christmas card about how God had been acting in her life, um, and and this this. Uh, Revival comes in the midst of the split of the United Methodist Church, and Asbury University and Asbury Seminary have been the bulwark and the center of conservative Bible-believing Methodism, and it's the 100th anniversary this year of the seminary. So there's some dates that kind of come into play here. The other person that if you get online, you're going to see is Zach Meerkribs, and Zach is about 30, 31 and um he has uh he has this incredible story of coming out of orthodox judaism and uh going through some really terrible things and the lord catching him and uh saving him and he and his wife have been through some really hard times uh in the last several years i remember standing with him in a cemetery in lexington um bearing his uh Infant daughter who had only yeah. lived for a short while um she, they they knew that she d- wasn't going to have a normal lifespan. Anybody else would have aborted this child in in the secular world. they kept it um, they loved it for a short time and buried it, his wife is a nurse practitioner who handles the most difficult cases in the state. Uh, She uh, handles the uh, forensic pediatric, um, the child abuse cases and everything. So this is a beautiful family, a tender family and everything. And Zach was doing the preaching when all this uh, began. Um, there's another guy by the name of Dan Lewis, who is the chaplain for the River Foundation. It's all supported by a bank. And all he does is go around and try to connect people and, and pray for things like this. Um, and, uh that That bank paid for a a group of people to get together here in Kentucky ten years ago, about uh 15, 16. and I'm going to name just three of the people that were there that that connect directly to this Tim Tennant, the president of Asbury Seminary, was there. He went back Asbury had a little bit of a seminary, a little bit of a revival, but you can't say little bit of a revival. a great hmm. thing happens if just one person gets saved. Dan Lewis again was there and Pete Mara and pizza, another whole beautiful story. And he's really somebody at that meeting 10 years ago that the fire really came into. He's a uh, long story short. He's now the the guy right behind John stone street at the Colson center. Um, uh, Two weeks uh, ago, or two weeks before the revival began, Dan came by with a 19-year-old Asbury student who'd met the Lord recently, and wanted to introduce me. And uh, this young man, Asher, just you know had that grin ear to ear of the the newly saved. And Dan said, uh, "There's gonna he, Asher's going to be part of a revival here, and uh, it's." Um, uh i got to tell you that asher was he was one of the uh first people to realize that he needed to cut class and sit at jesus's feet there was more important things uh to do and um i want to talk about the spiritual grandparents of this if you will uh, a yeah, couple but, I main, need to,
0: but we we whoops, we actually we a break? have to Sorry. take a, we got, we got okay. to take a network break. <laughs> hold that thought. Um, no no that's okay i think though that this is um even just interrupting um, the flow of the conversation um, here, Matthew, is um, is part of the conversation that we're all going to have to have, which is to actually get into the flow of what God um, is doing does require a suspension of schedules um deal i mean the spirit is disruptive in so many ways so even when you're acknowledging that Asher's cutting classes in order to participate like you know when Asher's parents hear that like how do they feel like i do want to talk with you about the disruptive nature um, of all of this um, for those who think that everything should happen decently and in order and according to oh, our yeah, schedules we're getting and plans so getting there. <laughs> yeah so let's uh, let's get there but i love the uh, i love the spiritual um, generational uh conversations related to this as well so let's do that next. We're talking with Dr. Matthew Sleeth. We're getting uh, an on-the-ground report about what God is doing at Asbury and beyond. Continuing the conversation here on Mornings with Carmen.
2: So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at MyFaithRadio.com
0: I'm Carmen LeBurge listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Dr. Matthew Sleeth is here with us giving us an update on his perspective of what is happening at Asbury University and then beyond there, um, you know, flowing out uh, to the seminary campus across the street and from there to churches and to some 20 um, other colleges and universities across the country as students from those places have come to participate and then you know the spirit is moving them when, uh, when they get back home. So, uh, Matthew, continue continue where you were. You were about to share with us about some of the sort of generational components of this.
1: Yes, and uh, I'm going to call them the spiritual grandparents are Ed and Sharon Mangum. They are retired missionaries served all over the world, and um, Ed has been mentoring Zach uh Mayor cribs who who's you know kind of the the point of all this in in many ways um since he planted a church i don't know 7 years ago or something and um uh, ed and uh sharon have been tirelessly uh there and and uh, having people in their home and feeding them and that t- sort of thing and to get that into perspective sharon just got uh treated and cured for, I don't know, stage 10 cancer just last year. Um, you know, lost all of her hair, that sort of thing, but she's there smiling, praying, uh, hosting people. Um and uh I'm gonna say some of the words and th- and things that um come from the two of them, uh starting with the most unpredictable thing uh to describe this revival Um, Ed said, it's like cancer, and I thought, where is he going with this? And he said, it ate us away, and there was only Jesus left. (laughs) And, And Sharon described this as peaceful, elegant, quiet, dignified, and she's just been there most of the time. And she says it's as if the good shepherd is walking through the room, tapping one person after another and of course there's prayer 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 and there's singing but there's no um wild craziness or anything there's a kind of an elegance and a quiet about the thing that's uh just lo- lovely um, I was asked on Sunday, you mentioned at First Alliance, all the uh, there's three services. Uh, they were all changed just to let people testify what was doing uh, to them, uh, what was going on with them. And during one of those services, I was with the young married group. There's about 50 couples in the young married. And I was asked, how do we know if this is real? How do we know that this just isn't human emotion that we're getting wrapped up in? And um, that was somebody who hadn't been there yet, hadn't seen it. And I said, that's a good question. We should test all things. We're not to stop the spirit, but we're supposed to test. And I said, first of all, you'll see the fruit that comes from it. Um, And uh, uh, we will see, and hopefully this is going to be a bigger revival than we've ever seen in in this uh, country in the last hundred years. And we'll see if it goes out to these other um, colleges and I'm praying it hits some churches, actually. Uh, Mm -hmm. The second thing is, are people dealing with sin? Mm -hmm. And over and over again, uh, that is happening. And I have to tell you just personally, my experience of it was a rap on the knuckles about some spiritual pride. Um, that I walk around with, and it stings a little bit. And then you say, Thank you, God, for pointing me in the right direction. But many, many people are experiencing that. And I think if you go online and watch those First Alliance services, they're all online. Uh, you'll see that even in the senior pastor, Paul Smith, um, being very, very real with uh, people. Um, and but uh, young people getting up and confessing sins. I I hate my parents, or I hate my grandparents, or or uh, just things like that. But always Jesus forgive me, and then that look uh, of understanding that they have been forgiven for it. That there's a different way of doing life. Um, I hate men. I hate women. Except uh, I've I've been a liar. Um, things that are hard to admit in front of a room full of people, but the people are not looking at each other. The eyes in the room are on Christ. And that's just an astounding thing. Um, the, the thing that I think has really rocked a lot of people's boat are the number of young people, particularly the number of young women who have got up and said, I struggle with whether or not to kill myself every Mm -hmm. day of the week. And, Mm -hmm. um, And, you know, this is a thing I have been working on a lot for a year and a half with a book, Hope Always, which is how do we get this hope of life in a culture of suicide and um, and I predict that if we have more suicides and the church doesn't attend to it, we'll have more murder suicides, we'll have more mass murders, and what has been happening in society over the last uh, several years, that's what you see. Um, my little grandson uh, went in there, uh, adopted out of, uh, or being adopted out of a very, very tough uh, situation, and at three years old, he ran down to the altar and said, we got to pray a a Mm three-year-old and, um, came back and told my wife and they gave me a lifesaver. And my wife said, they sure (laughs) certainly did. (laughs) Um, I love that. And so, um, and so there's just kind of, uh, and there's been a cooperation, the, uh, the seminary and the college sit across the street from each other. Hughes auditorium at the, uh, college has been overflowing uh, many, many times, They opened up the uh, Estes Chapel, which is a big chapel at the seminary uh, without, you know, fanfare or fuss or bureaucracy just got opened up. Uh, That wasn't enough. They opened up McKenna Hall at the seminary and they've got screens out on the lawn. Um, and, and so there's just kind of a feeling of cooperation and peacefulness between uh, what are really separate institutions uh, institutionally, but uh, one in spirit and in belief of, of scripture. And Amen. and so um, that's that's a little background on on the people and the story. This has been building for well over a decade. The same faithful people are there. And I think it's such a joy for them. What a reward to work and pray and fast and preach for something like this for a decade and then get to see it. Um, So that's just a little flesh on the people, if you will.
0: Oh, man, I love that. Um, All right, we're going to pray. Uh, We're going to fan the flame. I'm going to lift up Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, but I commend the entire chapter to you. Um, as you consider how you might be praying for uh, the the fanning of the flame of revival and um, and all that might mean, so Lord, we have heard of your fame we stand in all of your deeds repeat them in our day in our time make them known, and in your wrath remember mercy you 're listening to mornings with Carmen i 'm Carmen LeBurge. this is faith radio Spirit of the Fresh on me. God is on the move, on the move. hallelujah, God is on the move in many mighty ways. God, is- God is- on the move. And so um, when we talk to Dan DeWitt, one of the places that we think about is Cedarville University, because that's where uh, he served for a long period of time. Cedarville uh, is also experiencing its own outpouring of the Lord on campus. Uh, We have a testimony at thechristianpost.com about spontaneous prayer and worship among the student body uh, at the Cedarville campus as well. President of that uh, school, Tom White, has described what is happening as a, quote, special outpouring and sensing of the presence of the Lord. Um, You know, of course, he says, because, you know, this is, I think, the right thing to say. It's going to be left to historians to determine if what's happening today um, in these places and spaces in the hearts of these people is truly a revival. But he says that, you know, this particular outpouring at Cedarville started Monday morning um, during the chapel service. Um, and much like what happened at Asbury, you know, at the official conclusion of the service, um, students felt compelled to stay, uh, spontaneously came forward. There wasn't uh, there wasn't specifically an invitation to come forward, but they did. Um, that uh, that led to an extended time um, of prayer and repentance and worship right there in the chapel. And then they regathered that evening and then they regathered on a couple of times on Tuesday, um, the Wednesday chapel um, on and on as well. So just it's, um yeah, it's happening. Um, and I want you to, to know that and to be praying to fan the flame, to fan the flame. Dan DeWitt is actually going to join us next. He now serves at Southwest Baptist University. Um, But he still blogs at Theolatte.com, and we're going to talk about a range of headlines as we bring the mind of Christ to bear. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Dan DeWitt is back. You can connect with him and all his socials at theolatte.com. Dan, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. What's crack a I have a missing dog this morning. That's really what's on my uh, No! Like, I know, I know, I know. I, I don't know where she is. She didn't come in last night. I know. I gotta go hunt for her after the show. So there you go. That's what's that's what's crack a lacking in my like in, in the secret space of my heart. So thanks for asking.
2: Well, we will pray that that is remedied quickly.
0: I I I hope she's like, you know, in the barn or something and the door got closed and nobody knew she was in there or something like that. I hope it's as simple as that. So that, there you go. I um do too. All right. So, uh, Evan Hansen, dear Evan Hansen, I feel like the Broadway play was, um, was much better than the movie, but it also did come out as a movie. So people might be aware of that. Um, but you, uh, unpack this in, in a blog post, um, at theolatte.com and I want to highlight it today. Dear Evan Hansen reminds us of the gospel. So just walk us into and through this story.
2: Yeah, I had the opportunity. I mean, I, this is like a blog post that I've used in sermons, but I've never really written it down. And so I decided to recently just kind of commit those reflections to to a post that it might be helpful for someone. I went to see Evan Hansen in New York City with a friend. So I was there for a conference and a friend said, hey, I can get us tickets and had never heard of the play, went with him. And, you know, there's some parts of the play, like most things that I would say are not going to be family friendly. Um, but the play itself is about a powerful story about an angsty young man who um, is told by his therapist to write letters to himself. So that highlight all of the you know positive character traits he sees in himself. So he does that. Um, and he begins the letter Dear Evan Hansen. Later that day at school, he bumps into another troubled teenager. Um, their papers go flying. The other young boy picks up his letter, shoves it in his back pocket. They have a not so friendly kind of exchange. And that other young man later that day dies by suicide and his family in hoping that he left a note, um, they find this a letter that apparently they assume he's written to his best friend, Evan Hansen, because it's all about how great Evan is. And so the news from this um, skyrockets Evan to not only popularity at the school, but also worldwide fame videos of him go viral and he's doing all that he can to kind of keep the the lie going but he's deeply loved everybody loves this young boy who was a friend to the troubled teenager at the end of the play everything's falling apart as lies and deception always do you can't keep up with it all and as it's falling apart his mom says to him evan i love you and he quickly responds you don't even know me and she says evan I love you. I know you. And I love you. And at that moment, you know, here in in Manhattan, um, there was not a dry eye in the playhouse. You could hear people sobbing. I was crying. And so and I am a crier, by the way, Carmen. That's not like (laughs) massively, you know, um, profound, but I'm sitting there crying, looking around all these other people crying. And I think the reason for it is it taps into this deep need to be known and loved. And the gospel offers both of those things, that God knows us without any kind of false pretense, um, but he also fully loves us. And so that play for me, and that scene in particular, was a great reminder of the reality that's offered to every single person. And this is a deep human longing we all have, but there's only one place that it could be fulfilled, and that's in the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: The knowing part of this is essential, and I think one of the— really huge disconnects um, in the culture today is that we don't know people. Um, And so I want to lift up these statistics, um, which, you know, statistics help us see the people. So that's the only reason we talk about data and statistics is because they help us see what's happening. Um, But you and I are both read in on the stats related to American teenagers, particularly girls, particularly um, in relationship to um, the desperation in which they're living right now. Um, and so it's not that we don't love them. It's that we don't know them and therefore they don't feel loved. Like, right? I mean, I. it's mm-hmm. one thing to sort of love people in the abstract. It's another thing to know a person and love them. Can you talk a little bit about the disconnect and the difference between sort of loving in the abstract and actually knowing a person and loving them?
2: Absolutely. I think in some ways you could think about celebrity culture where you see celebrities who will say, you know, none of these, these people love me, but they don't know me. And to some small degree, social media has allowed everybody to kind of have these kind of little celebrity followings where we have a carefully curated um, presentation of who we are. And so I think everybody's living behind, and teenagers in particular, who spend much more time online than older generations, are living behind this veil of a photoshopped version of themselves. So they're constantly living with this idea that they know that they're not actually the person they're letting people in on. Um, And that drives them further down another rabbit hole, which is the more you're involved in online, the less you're involved in person. And so it's kind of a double whammy, where on the one hand, you're projecting a false picture of you to a lot of people. And on the other hand, you're less involved with people who can actually know you. Now, I think for Christians who wanna be a part of fixing this, what we all have to do is you know, probably turn our phone off. It won't be one thing, right? Um, but also to, to realize that this is not going to, we can't project our care for others. It has to be in meaningful relationships with people we actually know. So get out there and get to know your neighbor Get out there and get to know the person you sit next to in church and and start building the relational bridge that's strong enough for them to have these kind of meaningful conversations. So the the only way we're going to counter this is in our homes, in our communities, in our churches, as we really seek to know people. And I am an introvert at heart. So this is hard work for me. It's easier for some people, perhaps, um, but we all need to be more involved in the kind of conversations where people know we are going to love them even if they tell us something that is re- very hard for them and that might be shocking for us that we are so committed to them that we want to be with them in the thick and the thin and the, the good and the bad.
0: Dan, you know, a lot of young people you've uh, been working, um, you know, in this space for a long time. Um, we hear all kinds of quote unquote experts pointing in all kinds of directions in terms of the why um, you know, why do we have such a historically high rate of anxiety and sadness and suicidal ideation, particularly among teenage girls? Um, they point to everything. I mean, you know, quote unquote experts, right, point to everything from social media to um, education or school environments like bullying, um, parenting, uh, the breakdown of the family. Like the list is pretty long. Um, Climate change activists actually think it's climate change. Like, right. Um, From your perspective, right. You are a Christian who is whose life has been dedicated really to this particular age group and their um, spiritual encouragement. I don't I'm not trying to cast blame here, but I am looking for some help to identify like causation. Like, do you Hmm. see something that we could say, okay, this is a a place uh, that we could direct our prayers and our attention. Um, I recognize that it's complex, um, but where do you think we should be looking?
2: I think that, you know, what's coming out of Asbury probably gives us some good insights. You know, I think even the the friend you had on the program earlier talking about these young ladies who are being very vulnerable about um, thoughts of self-harm. I was at a a church not long ago where they had a teen— testimony night. And I was amazed at how many teens came up and were very transparent about um, suicidal ideation. And so I think that authenticity is really important and where for there to be homes and faith communities where there's vulnerability from the leaders down in an appropriate way, where it's, it's okay to not be okay. And um, I think that that is first and foremost, um, needs to be one of the top priorities. And you think about areas where when you've been in the kind of environment where there's something like a revival, not to you know, start using like technical terms of what is or what isn't, but when I've been in environments where there's great vulnerability, authenticity, room for repentance, I think that's what teenagers really need. And that's where we get to be known, right? And mm-hmm. also where we get to experience the love of God at our point of need. So I think authenticity is is, is it.
0: Yeah, I am. I'm hoping that we can build some intergenerational bridges. And maybe today that starts with prayer. As you're listening right now, Um, if God has brought a teenager to mind, um, I want you to just write their name down somewhere. Um, It's already written on your heart, but I want you to actually like physically write it down somewhere. Um, And I want you to pray for them. I want you to just pray that God would um, assure them today that they are seen, that they are known, and that they are loved um, and then ask God to open up an opportunity for you to build a bridge of um, vulnerability, authenticity, transparency, build a bridge of relationship to that young person. Maybe in some cases it's a bridge that's been burned, um, but let's, uh, let's lift this up in prayer today because as they are touched by the Spirit and they start acknowledging the things in their life that are not okay, we as adults are going to have to be in a posture of humility and allow them um, to express those things without becoming defensive. And so I think all of that is wound up in this conversation. We're going to continue talking with Dan DeWitt in just a moment. Um, Yeah, this next story is a little bit disturbing. I mean, you know, we talk about a lot of disturbing things. Um, But the Satanic Temple has announced the launch of an online abortion clinic. They're offering telehealth screenings and appointments. Um, for what they describe as a religious abortion ritual. Yeah, if you didn't think things were bad already, it's about to get worse. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I
1: wanna wake up, I want restart, Put the back in my heart. I need to be revived. Bring me back to life.
0: Alright, as we enter into this conversation about something happening in the culture, I want to set it in the context of John eleven thirty five, 35, um, where Jesus wept. Uh, and then I'm going to direct you to a very brief blog that Dan DeWitt has posted at Theolatte.com, which is Seeing Life Through the Tears of Christ. So, Dan, um, as we approach this uh, conversation related to the Satanic Temple opening an online abortion services uh, clinic, quote unquote, um, I want to maybe us to frame this in in seeing life through the tears of Christ. Like, there's no question this makes Jesus weep.
2: Yeah, that kind of motif goes back to an artist, a Christian artist who described a project he did as taking the the shortest verse in the New Testament, Jesus Wept, and reading through the the Gospels through that lens. And I think that's a powerful way for us to even apply it to a worldview, to say we want to see the world through the lens of what we believe about God and Jesus in the Bible through a biblical lens. Um, But that also means with compassion and for us to hopefully be increasingly burdened by the things that would break God's heart. And so this r- news story um, is interesting in some ways. And, you know, when people think about a satanic temple, there's all kinds of images that would come to mind. And most a lot of them will be accurate. But the motivation behind the symbols might not be accurate. For example, a lot of people don't realize and this is not to confuse a satanic temple with the church of Satan. So these are not people, the satanic temple are not people who um, even believe that Satan as a person, as a, a being, a real being exists for them. Satan is a symbol of secularism and it's a symbol. That's quite intentional a lot of people, and I included a video, the video highlight this week is an interview, a secular, just a news interview with a spokesperson um, from the Satanic Temple describing a bit of where their name come from, came from and what their motivation is. But for them, it's a, an intentional symbol because a lot of them grew out of church environments. They've deconstructed. And one of the most helpful ways to kind of show their secular preferences is to use um Satan as the symbol. And in this case, what they're what they're working for is to provide abortion services. And they're at this point only providing um abortion um services in one particular state um, where it's where it's indeed illegal. And the people who um, use their services, their religious ceremonies they describe it, have to be in that state and prove that they're from that state. They've named it after the Supreme Court Justice, Sam Alito. And so they have called it Sam, Sam, the Samuel Alito's Mom's Satanic Abortion Clinic. And so it's hard to imagine something that could be more kind of on the nose, in your face than that. And what they're trying to do is again, to show what they're for, and they're going to frame it in very provocative ways. They're not, um, doing abortion ceremonies as an act of worship to Satan. They don't believe in Satan, but nonetheless, they are very much trying to progress a secular agenda and to do it in all the kinds of ways that would get attention from people like us. So it's important for people to be aware of what it is, what's going on. And as we pray to pray for the young young ladies who might consider those services.
0: Yeah. And uh, supplying Um, chemical or pharmaceutical abortions through the mail is, you know, something that we already know is happening um, and in crazy, wildly large numbers. And so um, I want to keep this in front of us in terms of our our prayer concerns, um, but then also our compassionate concern for young women Um, who are dealing with unplanned pregnancies in our churches, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, on and on and on. So let's be people who don't just become, um, angry at or disgusted by the actions of others. Let's actually proactively, um, positively advance the gospel in ways that touch on the challenges that real people are experiencing in real life today. Um, Dan, let's give you an opportunity to talk about um, another post at Theolatte.com. A uh, God above means purposes here below. What are you talking about there?
2: Well, what I'm getting at there is a theme that, that I hit on a lot. And I think of any Christian who's reading the, the headlines and looking at what's going on in the world. It's just a perennial topic. And that's how do we get purpose without God? And I include a poem from St. Um, what is her name? Edna St. Vincent, there it is. Edna St. Vincent Millay. And it's just a powerful poem. It is part of the public domain. And so I've listed it here. But it's a poem about a mom who's talking to her children. And her husband's just died. And she talks about how they're going to find, the title of the poem, by the way, is a lament. Um, They're going to find pennies in his old coats. And she'll give the pennies to the son. And she'll take the fabric from the coats and make things for the daughter. And the daughter can play with her. Um, her dad's keys that are in the coat pocket. And so they kind of go through these meaningful ways. They're going to have things to remember their dad by. But then she goes on to say, life must go on, though good men die. And eat your breakfast. Dan, take your medicine. Life must go on. I forget just why. And I think that that poem for me is, is moving um, because it illustrates that without reference to God, without reference to some life beyond the grave, it's very difficult to get at why must life go on um, though good men die. If there is no God above, there've been a number of um, celebrity atheists, a number of scholars who don't believe in God, who will readily concede that there can be no objective meaning or purpose below. Without a God above, we don't have that kind of meaning and purpose. We get preferences, Um, in the way that I might prefer one thing over another. But to say that something is objectively wrong, I mean, to go back to the satanic temple, that same group years ago, sought to have a statue of um, Satan um, placed in front of the uh, courthouse in Oklahoma. um, And they wanted it to be placed next to the 10 commandments. And it was going to be a symbol of their religious freedom, um, but also in contrast to the 10 commandments. And that's, that statue of Satan, you'll actually see if you click on the news story, the, the picture of a uh, a goat-headed um, being. Um, if you look at it carefully, there's a small child, a small boy on one hand and a small girl on the other. They built the statue in such a way that it would show children reflecting on the meaning of life, um, sitting at the feet of Satan. Well, think about that scene if, the, if they had succeeded, which they didn't, to have a statue of Satan next to the Ten Commandments. Which of the two symbols actually speaks to an objective value about life? I mean, the Ten Commandments make quite clear that we are not to murder. Um, This illustrates for us the two worldviews that are in constant conflict, secularism and then Christian theism, belief that there is a moral law. If there is a God above, then there's meaning below. And that leads us to another problem, Carmen, and that's if there is a moral law above us, we all know we don't measure up. And so we spoke about abortion earlier. That's such a, a, a visible, clear way that we could say someone's having to deal with their, the consequences of their actions. But most of us are able to hide the consequences a lot better. I mean, to be honest, we're all guilty of the kind of things that would lead to kind of the public shame that some might experience or are forced to experience. We all know we don't measure up to the moral law. The great thing about the Ten Commandments is it doesn't just end with that. It points forward to one who would fulfill the Ten Commandments and and become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So forgive me for getting a little preachy. um, But to go back to the Evan Hansen theater reference, there is a way to be fully known the good stuff and the bad. And in the midst of all that, to be fully loved because there's a God above, we can have meaning below. And because God came below and lived a perfect life for us, we can know forgiveness.
0: Yeah, the personal reality of God and the personal um, act of God in Jesus Christ and the personal presence of God's Holy Spirit, like all of that is wound up in this conversation as well. It's not, it's not just that there is a God above, it's that the God above is personal and real So, um, yeah, Dan, thank you so much as always. All right, that's Dan DeWitt. You can find everything that we talked about today and so much more at Theolatte.com. I'll put all of the links in the show notes for today. Uh, Appreciate the engagement on the text line this morning. What are you thinking about and how are you thinking about what you're thinking about? You can always text me at 877-933-2484. We do have another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Paul Ac is going to join us for some uh, media headline news and a few reviews. And then you and I, well, we're just going to talk amongst ourselves um, for a little bit. We're going to talk about the things that some people, frankly, don't want us to talk about. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith,